you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. Brought to you by Mind Architecture. Building worlds for your mind. I can hear you. So oh. I, we're going to try something new. I'm. Oh, you still got a Christmas sweatshirt. We're going to record. <laughs> this is a new one. I got the, the new oh, the Christmas tree. That's pretty there. awesome. <laughs> But I'm going to try recording in the cloud to see if we don't get that stutter at times. Okay, very good. Let's see what happens. In fact, that's that could be like the launch for today. We, you and I tend to both get value out of our technology, but what I've been noticing lately is it just shouldn't be this hard. I have certain <laughs> things that like my backup hard drive just started to throw errors. And... It is as important as, oh, no, I can't get to my music on my media hard drive, but I don't want to not have a backup. And right. when you start investigating, it's, wow, I used to get an eight terabyte drive for this amount of money. And now I just found like a 14 terabyte drive for the same amount of money. As technology always marches on. And that's one of those wonderful fields where you keep on getting better and at a, at a lesser price. So it's right. just kind of a thing to let yourself in every way, stay stagnant because I don't want to spend like a, a hard drive is about maybe 110, 120 bucks. That seems like a very small uh, expenditure per year to make sure you have state of the art and more room and all that kind of stuff. So that whatever post Christmas funds I have, a little bit will be, hey, should I have like Wi-Fi six everywhere? You know what I mean? And I, if anything, I also I like that idea of. I want to keep my hand in on some of these things. And unless you work with current technology, you fall behind. I think, for instance, that my CD, DVD, re reader, writer, all the kind of stuff that I got the ultimate guy from a couple of years ago. And I don't think that's a technology that's advancing very quickly. Uh, but it, communication no, is Wi-Fi and stuff. Yeah, the CDs and writers and stuff. You like specifically have to search those out. They're dying breed. People just aren't you know, using them. And, and that's true. In fact, I just saw it. one of the things that happens online is someone will put out a meme that says someone just told me about um, ripping and like right, making your own CD. And who, how would you do that? Who in the world would do that? Isn't everything just in the cloud? And pardon me, <coughs> there's a certain amount of, I don't know, I don't rip that many CDs. It's not like I people used to make tapes for their girlfriends, you know what I mean? A mixtape and stuff like that, or for their guy friends and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's more that's still a when i get one of the cool things that's been happening we've talked about this for three years of our show running there's wonderful collections being put together of, of a whole life's work for christmas and it's funny all of our topics are bleeding together colleen got me the keith emerson box good set. yeah you said you're hoping like 20 cds it's everything that he didn't do in elp plus some stuff from there but 
it's very cool that these places, Burning Shed, Rhino, there's a number of places that specialize in this where they collect all the different albums, get the permissions from the various, because they're not always issued by the same company. Not everybody dealt with EMI or Columbia and that kind of stuff. And but then there's also, there's all the cool extra stuff of interviews with people that knew them and rarities where it was like, hey, there's a, they captured a live broadcast from the Christmas concert or whatever else it might be. And how do I get that into my computer? It's 20 CDs. It really might be that it's out there all also digitized for me, but I like reading the libretto. I like having the CDs and the pictures and that kind of stuff. So I don't mind that delivery mechanism. It's actually very handy like this. Uh, I don't want to dig it out of the stack. It's as big as a cigar right. box, but it's the guy's life's work. The wonderful surprise. She didn't just get me Keith Emmers. She also got me Greg Lakes which is called um, Miracle, if I remember right. And, oh, no, that's only eight CDs because he wasn't quite as prolific. But, and the reason for saying all that is I really want it to be that I got the drive that it's not going to choke on anything. I don't want to get error correction is not good enough, that it doesn't get the fastest sampling rate and stuff like that. So it's worth seeking that kind of thing out for at least my purposes, which is I still usually buy CDs and digest them into my computer burning things but and, and burning and ripping that's that's technology perhaps that's fading away well, burning definitely <laughs> because just got a not a brand new car but a, a couple year old car no cd player not even an option it's bluetooth and that's it so but i still like buying the physical media rather than buying it off of itunes because iTunes then controls it and I'm still having to download it and transfer it if I want to listen to it here, there, or anywhere. Cause great, I bought it on iTunes, but I have an Alexa. I want to so right. I still prefer if I buy the CD, I own the CD. If my files get messed up, I can re-rip it. If uh, I go to someplace it, and I put the CDs away because it's so it's become inconvenient to try and have a case of CDs and switch them. I just put all my stuff on my Alexa and I'm good to go. I hear you. I agree with all that stuff. And you and I have talked about this before. I just had an example. I tried to listen to Meatloaf's Ben Out of Hell album the other day and half the cuts are missing. Somehow right. there's property dispute going on. It's like Cleveland Records and I, I, I don't want to know who put something out. It's never mattered to me. I don't follow a... a, a a label i follow the artist i follow the so the fact that i've got this piece of swiss cheese that i, I have to re-rip if i'm going to hear all the cuts and then stop itunes or spotify or whoever else from messing with me it weirds me out that kind of stuff can just go away even though i showed ownership by having digested it in the first place so i'm still that might be a big project for this year is stop using Apple Music or iTunes, like then there's a big difference now. Apple Music is the online service and it really has 3 million things and stuff like that, but I don't want it to be that I'm still getting everything from them off the cloud and pay a subscription fee. My collection is so extensive that I it is all of what I want and I've already paid for it. I don't want right. to pay another access fee every month to get my own stuff. So I'm going to work on that is, and this is funny, I think we talked about this a little bit before. I have, without realizing it, sometimes had multiple collections. I got all my dad's CDs from California, and I did rip them into a separate um, catalog so that we'd, I'd be able to share it with my brothers, but not my entire collection. Not because I don't want to share it, but but I, I wanted to have this specific thing. Right. If you don't keep track of exactly what catalog you're in, you start adding your other new CDs, and now they're mixed in with Comedy World, and they're mixed in with Dad World. And those kinds of things. So I've been consolidating that. And in most cases, it's as easy as 
bringing up two windows on your on, on the, the finder, the, the Mac file system, and copying things over. But then you have to say, okay, if I have a more recent version, is that the one where it's got a better sampling rate? But it is also one where it's already been like some of the cuts are missing. I don't think right. they actually... Re, re, they don't delete the cuts from your drive, but the meta information show, says it looks at the, the directory first, not the physical things. So I'm doing this whole exercise of, okay, I think I got it now as to where I should copy things over and then have it redo the catalog, redo the directory for me. And even then I'm still like, but if I, so I, it's a lot of work if you have a lot of CDs and I've started where like I get down through K for the day and that's okay. Now I got new stuff, but I got to make sure, do I know where I'm adding it to? Because I don't want to put it in the wrong place and then still have to copy it back. And it, Emerson, like, you know, Keith Emerson would be in the Ks, but Greg is in the Gs. And so I'd have to go back and say, oh, I hope I didn't miss anything else. And I just want to be like, get it done and be done and have one true. Right. Oh. And, and, and an argument of why I still like to buy physical. So there was a series of Christmas albums called A Very Special Christmas. And it was... All the artists did it for free and all the money, supposedly, all went to the Special Olympics. Okay. And I loved the albums and I loved the artists. I got the cassette of the very first one. And then later, years later, I upgraded and bought the CD. So I bought it twice. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, but I listened to it and I'm like, this isn't right. Here there was some sort of dispute. So when they did the CD, they got rid of one song by Bon Jovi, put a different song by Bon Jovi on there. So and the then, track listing is different. Exactly. Yeah. And then Chrissy Hind had a song. Mm -hmm. And for whatever, before it, it was just this little kid, like Merry Christmas, bing bong, as he's running around the house. And it was just this real little five second clip. But it, to me, it was part of the song. And they took that off on the CD. And I was like, oh, no, not having that. So I went back to my cassette, ripped those two things off, put it onto my ripped so I have the deluxe version with exactly. everything. All the cuts. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then Def Leppard also a couple of years ago, they were in a dispute with the online streaming because they didn't own the rights to their songs. And the company said, no, we're not putting them on streaming. And they're like, but we, so what they did, they re-recorded some of their biggest hits and put right. those on streaming. Those are completely different versions of the stuff. And the things don't always sound quite the same and right. And there are certain intonations and inflections and a certain <laughs> point, you just hear a click from somebody hitting the guitar. That's all part of the whole thing. So I got those, but good thing I still had the CDs to get all the original way it sounded. They, they remaster some of this stuff and adjust things and Layla is another great example, but it's an example in the good one. So the original Layla album, Keys to the Highway song, a wonderful tune on that album. And uh, when they did the 25th anniversary box set, they went back to the master recordings to remix it and make it sound better. They found a part, uh, was it Greg Allman maybe, that when they were playing, he just went, as they're playing, they cut that out. And they listened to it and said, that sounds really good and put it back in on the box set. So there's an example of improving it rather than making it worse. Yeah. It, it, as you know, that's one of the topics I suggested. I don't know. I love music, but I don't study. It's not like I'm sitting there trying to memorize a song. But when you have a brain that does tend to remember everything, it, you really notice those little things where there's a little movement on a fret or there's a little, there, there's a great, an ELP live album, the Welcome Back to My Friends album. There's one where you can hear a guy in the crowd going, you're driving me crazy or something like that. And then when you hear it with, that's not right. And, and you don't realize how much you miss it until it's like you anticipate it. And then that cool 
proof of audience interaction is missing. So Whitesnake did that. They re-recorded Here I Go Again, like okay. in 2000, mm -hmm. uh, 2002, whatever. It was like 20 years different. So their voices changed, whatever. They re-recorded it. And I was listening to it one day on the radio and I'm like, wait a minute, this isn't the right song. And the guy, yeah, this is Whitesnake from 1986 and blah, blah, blah. And the station got all these calls like, that's not the 86 version. That's the new recorded <laughs> they one. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that's really true. When you hear, obviously, everybody's vocals change over the course of time. Their vocal cords uh, uh, not lengthen, right? They shorten. And so they can't hit all, they don't have the whole range, if you will. Right. And if you're used to a, a certain, I don't know, David Coverdale has a very distinctive voice. So does Burton Cummings. So does Greg Lake. And then when you hear it off, that it's the older strained version. Ian Anderson is another one. You're like, oh, I don't want to get used to the new one. I want to go back to the old one. You know what <laughs> right, I mean? Right. They re-recorded it for all the right reasons, like you were saying, to reclaim their songs. And Taylor Swift is now famous for that, that she got into the same mind that so many young artists do, that somebody else owned all their stuff because they signed contracts before they knew what the game was all about. And then when they re-record those things, she still did it within a couple of years. So it's sure still, so far as I know, sounds like her but if someone re-records things 30 years later oh it's a, a whole different band it's a whole different guy right. that the organ that's singing it and then there there was like ray stevens uh, a lot of his early catalog either was destroyed or they refused oh. to release it or something so he went back and had to record whole albums but it was like 30 35 years later and just it did not sound the same he was a comedian singer and right. It was, yeah, he's saying the same jokes, but I don't feel it. It's just like a yeah, robotic. That's right. There's not the, the young impudence. There's not yeah. the young of, of doing it for the first time. I mean, yeah. Especially comedy music. That's part of it is the surprise. The first version of it is the freshest. And you, and I don't think he necessarily sounded terrible, like world weary about it. But <laughs> I know I've heard things like where someone just sounds too husky. No, yeah. I want the, it's like Sting. When you hear him do police material, it isn't the young, snotty, asshole version of himself it's the mature i've been through a lot of stuff and you know what i mean there's a there sure is a different not only in the sound of his voice but in his whole attitude in his maturity yeah. as a human being so right i don't know i like having both of those things i will i like the contrast like oftentimes i'll go on a binge where i'm going to listen to kansas from a to z and and you'll hear all the youth of it and and steve walsh's voice changes slightly also and even you know how some people they get tired of doing their own material again and again so they start to vamp it up a little bit they change the phrasing and stuff like that and i don't mind it it sounds more live when it's slightly different but there's yeah. also some things like steve just stay on the note you don't have to go sliding around all the time you really could just <laughs> right. do the song well, that everybody wants to hear you right know? <laughs> green days a little bit of not really at hot water but brought attention to themselves for changing some lyrics during a live show Interesting. That's right. So I actually, I got too. I, I've gotten used to like, you'll hear the, the name of the city that they're in. Huey right. Lewis would say yes. City name whenever he did Chicago, that kind of stuff. But what was Green Days? It remind us of the example that they, it's very political, obviously. Oh, so. yes. <laughs> well, Green Days, a, a punk band, essentially, anti-establishment attitudes the whole time, right? And their one song, American Idiot. Now, just take the title, folks, American Idiot. <laughs> of course, uh, Weird Al did a great parody called Canadian Idiot, which is very funny. Um, okay. But so Green Day had a line in there talking about the redneck agenda. 
and this was from 91 or so, so 30 okay. years ago. And recently, was it the Super Bowl or, or not the Super Bowl, some playoff or something? New Year's Day, whatever. They were playing and they changed Redneck Agenda to MAGA Agenda. Okay. And people went, lost their minds. Well, I, I can't believe they gotten political and I'm not listening to them anymore. And it's, have you people ever listened to them? Exactly. They, they, this is them exactly. And the best comment was, isn't it cute how all these people are suddenly realizing that this derogatory song is about them? I really, I love that. I love the fact that they were bold enough to do that. You know what I mean? And it really is. I don't know. I've been talking about the NASCARization of the United States for 30 years, at least. You know what I mean? That there's just something that crept up that was, wow, that's more ignorance and bigotry and slow thought than I'm used to. And why would we adopt that? Why would we say, maybe for once the good money will drive out the bad instead of the other way around? No. Always we regress towards the lowest common denominator. So, hey, southern half of the united states sorry that you know if you think that my saying the nascarization is an insult yeah it is i i there's no i i don't get much out of i don't know cultures that separate ignorance and bigotry and we could do all the labeling it's just listen to i i don't like wow every time i hear a christmas song that also includes military themes or it weirds me out to be like even this most wonderful time of the year you couldn't get past your guns and your drinking and your and it, and it's not a novelty song like grandma got run over by right. a ranger. And, this really is christmas to you have the kids get their guns and get into the christmas picture ugh yeah we, <laughs> no. we've had representatives doing that house of oh. representatives and stuff i've seen That's some right. pictures. you know it goes back to this american idiot is like the version of anarchy in the uk <laughs> it's the same type of thing yeah i will by the way i i think that you might even have seen this and commented on it Somebody just put up a little thing of Mozart and his time was like brash. He really, he was so talented that he could get away with not only making his own beautiful music, but making fun of others. And they show that in Amadeus where he's working on a Salieri piece and he's like improving it in real time. And Salieri is wincing and stuff like that. But then they said, it isn't that we only have the Mozarts and the Beethovens from the past. There's got to be in a world of 7 billion people that are similarly talented and influential in that way and so they went through what was it about mozart that made him so great he drank in all the music around him and would do new variations on it and all these things and they said you know who our new modern mozart is it's weird al that weird al yankovic has this ability to work in every form of music and in in such a talented loving but teasing way and that it you you i don't know i just thought that was such a a wonderful benediction to how amazingly talented he really is him and his band being able to play all the different kinds of music in order to do a spot on parody is good not because it sounds like it it gets because it's so close that you could mistake it for it until you listen to the lyrics and going wait that's not the way that what is it amish paradise you know what i mean that's not the way gangsta paradise goes that right. kind of thing so it's my hats off to weird al for having such a body of work i know when i get stupid money when I get me that it really doesn't matter what I had to pay for things, I seek out that accordion box set. I missed it when it came out. I really want to have proudly on my shelf the accordion and have everybody, anybody who sees it will go, Weird Al fan. They'll know, uh, they'll know that I'm a fan. You know I what I used, mean? I used to actually have an accordion, and unfortunately, okay. my ex wife got rid of it. I wish I still had it because I would pay to have Weird Al sign it. Exactly. Yeah. As, as Colleen likes to call it, the stomach stein way. Let's see, don't we hop around too much? So no. I, I love that whole, the whole idea of remixing and people being able to like, 
I don't know. I don't have that talent. I, I think that I can hear, well, there's, of course, a difference in how they track it. If you got a 48-track mixer, you really are going to have three vocals and all the various different instrumentation on various different things. But to be able to pick that out and say, if we bring up the, we need more woodblock, oh, no. exactly that. I'm going to, so <laughs> it's cool that the Stephen Wilsons of the world have that ability to look at the orchestration and the mixing of it. And it, that's a whole different way of looking at music is the component parts and put it back together and emphasize and de-emphasize and whatever else it might be. So I mentioned Stephen Wilson because he's renowned, at least in the prog world, for looking at old music that people have really come to know deeply, like from King Crimson albums, Yes albums, Gentle Giant. I'm trying to think exactly what he's worked on. And I must admit that a lot of times when I hear the new version, it's like, it sounds brighter, like whatever they did to get rid of musical mud and bring out things that just sounds crisper. I get that, but I don't really notice many differences. And so I guess that's why I'm a, a CD level listener instead of a tube amp listener, because I don't need the full dynamic range and I don't need everything in the, the right place in the room, or it doesn't sound right on a Steely Dan album or something where they were known for really paying attention yeah. to that. You know what I mean? I guess I don't have those ears. I really love music. And yet I, no wonder I didn't pursue a career in that because I couldn't be the guy at the soundboard making sure that it sounded just perfect for the band. You know, and if you play the instrument, you don't care. <laughs> you yeah. let the soundboard did, guy did, do did his you, job. The technology of it? Uh, yeah. You were a working musician for a number of years. Yeah. Did you look into the technology of it and the well, mixing of it? For school, yes. We had to take electronic music, which is not the same electronic music as you have today. Isn't that funny? Yeah. <laughs> I had to make a drum. We had to make a, a loop and remix something using a loop. And I took uh, uh, When the Levy Breaks. Exactly. And, and I cut that and made it a loop. When I say make it a loop, it was reel-to-reel -reel tape. I had to record it and find it and cut it and splice it. And my loop was so long, it ran around the whole room with music stands and stuff. <laughs> and then we had to mix in other stuff on top of it and layer it to create yeah. something new. And so I got into it a little bit, not so much the, I, I did some recordings, know the soundboards and stuff like that, but I was always the musician. It's I'm playing, you make it sound good out there and I'll trust you on it. I hear you. So I, I think we talked about this way back in college. I had, I, synthesizers were just coming into play. At Plato, we had really had some of the first music synthesizers. And so a friend of mine, Tom Cortese, like worked at the at CIRO, the Computer Education Resource Lab in the music area. And so he really knew a ton of that technology. And I learned a little bit about it in my own studio, but everything I had was very analog. It was reel-to-reel -reel tape. And so I, as I got out and first uh, got out of school and started to build a home studio because I really had something inside of me that wanted to create music, I learned about MIDI and how to do that level. And, but absolutely, that's a field where I'm doing this in 83. So here we are 40 years later, virtually nothing. I'd be the guy they'd bring in to say, hey, give us that old town time feel <laughs> because you're the one that actually had to work in this field. But I so much don't know how we do things nowadays. Auto-tune is like a very, an amazing thing, but that wasn't available in my day, nor was even just the ease of mixing and synchronizing you know what i mean they have things that really do bring things so it's in, in perfect as if someone was rock steady beating whereas human beings don't do that I, I i i'm very curious about getting back into that because i've always liked that the the understanding the sonics of things the real but it sure is even now if i start learning give it five years and they're going to be like oh 
a third of what I've learned now is obsolete because that well, field moves along so quickly. What you, what you should just do is get GarageBand on your iPad because GarageBand is phenomenal in what it can do just from the iPad. And you can easily put down chords and stuff and then you can adjust it to so it's on the beat if you're off and you can you don't even have to do it on the beat you just hit the notes you need and it makes loops and all sorts of stuff so garage yeah. band is definitely i did work with primitive sequencers and synthesizers back then i know we talked about this a lot i was so enamored of people that were doing experiments like the brian enos of the world that they had and, and genesis they had found sounds it wasn't just pick up an instrument and play it they would find sounds put it through a tape loop and then have it be i did a lot of things with keyboards where i'd have the sound of a burning fire a crackling fire and then the keyboard was what would play that sound if you will so you could do and some of it was musical mud like i mentioned earlier but some of it was like i went out to the stadium and you could hit the stadium seats all metal and go and get all these cool white noise and Doppler effect type things. Right. I captured all kinds of cool stuff like that. And I had all kinds of people that listened to my stuff say, you obviously don't know music theory because none of this really makes sense, but it sounds great. It sounds very interesting. And I didn't get a chance. Part of the reason that I started to do things after I got out of school was how much could I recreate at home and, and, and nowhere like in, in the, music lab studio you had all kinds of stuff that the university provided yeah i couldn't get all that but things were just starting to be that you could get uh, i don't know a little casio keyboard and recreate a whole bunch of stuff from midi tables and instrumentation that i got 200 different instruments in here you know what i mean i'm gonna try to learn how to play things that sound like an oboe on a keyboard or whatever else it might be so and I, because I was never a great musician, everything was very painstaking. And it'd be one of those things where I had to say, okay, I need a four hour block of time because this isn't something I can just like goof off with for 20 minutes. I got to pour myself back into it, get what I'm trying to do, experiment a lot, and then see if I can play it enough so that I can, I do, I want to try, I want to try to do hoedown from Emerson, Lake and Palmer. If you don't really know how to play, that's a very painstaking process because there's a lot of notes going on, but certain things I got to where I could almost duplicate them. And, but then I don't know. I had certain things in finger memory that have now faded and I thought it would be an interesting sight. Have you ever seen one of these guys? They're like a human jukebox. They really can play every single one of 10,000 songs on guitar. They have the melody and whatever. And I wanted to get that. I got a big memory. I should be able, if I train myself more and more, I'll get it. I'll retain these. And then I'll also be able to say, I know that if I'm going to try something in the vein of Harry Nilsson, it, he always, not always, he often sounded like this. Who are the guys that used more sad keys? Who are the guys that had just certain little musical frillips that you could tell from just their DNA, their, who they were, came out in their music? And so another thing about Weird Al is he really has that ability to do it. And instead, also, I just got an album. I got a couple. I love getting Christmas music before Christmas and experimenting and I got one called like the December people, which you know, has got to be a prog band because oh, isn't that haughty doity, but <laughs> it was Billy Sherwood. There's a couple of people that really are good at this. Robert Berry, Billy Sherwood, they call in all their friends. So it's the big players. It's the Steve Howes of the world. And the, and they did a whole bunch of Christmas carols, but with all these other little bits mixed in of that's a general giant riff. Oh, I, I, that's it sounds a little bit like the lead into close to the edge. How cool is this? that they're that talented that they can have all those snippets and bits and, and influences and play it just enough to not plagiarize it, 
but to evoke it, to say for all the people that know those beautiful musics, this sounds like them. I, I always wanted to be like that, that I could say, let me give you a little Emerson and Palmer and then just do something. Great Gates of Kiev, boom, 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 that kind of stuff. Oh. See, I think you were moving in the wrong direction. You wanted to play because you loved that, what they did in their music. You wanted to express that. But with all those sound stuff, you should have went in another direction and just created your own music and sound with the, the effects and everything you did. And it wouldn't sound like any of that, but it would have something all unique, your own. That's a direction you should have gone in. You're probably right. One of the things that I've always admired is that people aren't the players, but they're the tool makers. They're the ones that put together those musical libraries of, of various different cool sounds and samples and clips and stuff like that. And I used to love, like it, when I was coding, I used to love buying libraries of various different things. Like here's the perfect, someone's going to enter what they think is a date and it's going to clean it up for you. It's going to make sure that it's either American style or European style and that it's two, two, and four or vice versa. And I don't want to have to write that routine everywhere I go. Someone figured out perfectly how to do centigrade to Fahrenheit translation, how to do, and, and it's funny, there's some simple ones that really well, I can write that. But when you start doing parsing, cleaning up input from people and you really try to make it like the United States, for instance, has where any address, it'll turn it into standard format. It changes all the streets so that's the appropriate abbreviation. So it's ST for street or AV for avenue or whatever else it might be. And I did a lot of that with Pete and Mark before we were doing data cleansing. And I really kept thinking, this is something like everyone needs this. If I put together the library of how to do this, I could leverage this into being 10,000 sales of how to clean up your data. <coughs> Sorry, I'm fighting. One of the unjoys of going out for New Year's Eve and various different things is I went. I was on jury duty two days yeah. this week. Boy, were people coughing and snotty and not, they don't do the Dracula thing where uh. they it. It's like they cough into their hands and then they touch the water fountain. And so who knows what cooties I picked up and I'm fighting them off. I don't think I've totally acquired it, but I just hate when you can feel your body little tinkle in the throat, little in the ears. Come on, body. You've seen colds before. I know that they're like one of the most persistent, terrible viruses, but I'll do some extra vitamin C and I'll get some extra sleep and hope to fight this off. Right. So. <laughs> let, let me throw something else at you uh, for fun. Uh, besides GarageBand, which I love GarageBand uh, on my iPad. That's one thing I haven't really found an equivalent anywhere in the non-Apple world. But the other thing is an app software, not app software called Band in a Box. And, and here's why I'm throwing that at you. So I've what, seen this. I've not played with it. Okay. Okay. And, and this is like general advice to anybody wanting to learn music. People are like, oh, I want to learn how to play like Greg Howe and, and just okay. riff it off, whatever. The problem is that you immediately go to that and you start learning note for note what they did and you're not really getting better as a musician you're getting better at playing that one thing the best exactly. thing best advice and i remember colin was in a summer rock band experience through woodsy's music and this kid okay. came in and he was like <laughs> he had spent years watching youtube learning the fastest guitar solos note for note but he knew nothing about music. He didn't even know what the string notes were. He didn't know how to make chords. He couldn't play in beat. So it was a really weird experience. And then like he, a savant skill level, but not like 
human. Wow. Yeah, but it was okay. all from YouTube. He wasn't really a good musician because all he could do was, if he got off, he had to start all over. He couldn't pick up. And we'd be, they were doing Smells Like Teen Spirit with Nirvana. And here's the beat. And then he'd be, he learned how to play a couple chords. Then he'd get the solo and he'd go, four times as fast and not realizing that he's off beat. So my advice is to musicians, don't worry about getting to that. I want to play all this great music from these great people. Learn your notes, learn your chords, learn your fingerings, get down where it's smooth. Because once you have that foundation and that base, you could do everything else and it becomes easier. And exactly. instead of learning one thing over months and months and months, and then that's the only thing you can do, you have a base Learning that one thing is going to take you a couple of weeks and then you can learn five different Flyers. things. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I mentioned Tom Cortese, a good friend from U of I. So going on, wow, 45 years ago. Now. How many decades? How, how many decades? <laughs> but he really was amazing. He had the piano lessons when he was young and could really play like the Rachmaninoff impossible pieces and stuff like that. The example that I always give, this is the guy that like, so we had a synthesized keyboard and he could walk around to the other side of it where everything is top to bottom reverse now and play. He just had that. He had wow. he's made of music. So he's always loved doing it, but didn't make a career out of it. He was actually like very bright in computer science. So he's the guy that did the weather simulations for NASA that said, when can we launch our rockets? Because there's going to be a perfect window. So I really know a friend that's a rocket scientist. Nice. That, but he, the way he's kept his music going is he not only had memorized the Rachmaninoff piece, he knew music. And so he plays with country and Western bands. He plays with a vocalist and accompanies her. He goes to senior centers and does like Christmas concerts and stuff like that. And he just, the fact that he knows so much and can improvise with anyone because he really gets what are they doing right. and i'm gonna add things to it i'm not gonna overpower it i'm not gonna wait for my solo and then grim, 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 that kind of thing it i my hat's off to him too for being like i i never did that well and i i went like i said from two to six in the morning all by myself i wasn't in a jam band i didn't collaborate so much of my being a better musician would have been if i did that from the start pick up a bass guitar learn ceg and learn how to be with other people in a way that you're part of this wonderful collective thing you're creating instead of, I want to learn how to play hoedown or something. And, and, like that, and you know? there are so. definitely people that are just innately high musicianship that even with a lot of practice, I and others can't even obtain that level, but music is music. That's the thing. There's 88 keys on a keyboard, whether you're playing classical, rock, jazz, or country. It doesn't, there's still the same 88 keys, pretty much still the same chords. And mm -hmm. once you learn those, some of that music becomes easier. And then you learn the styles. And you may have heard of Access of Awesome. I don't know. If, You've heard yeah. that before. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the blues, the 12 bar blues. Once you know that, you hear it in so many songs. And the one, five, six, four progression that they do for that. Exactly. It's, oh, I listened to the top 40. I heard it four times, that type of thing. So that's right. And that's, I'm not downgrading at all his skill because I have a friend that has perfect pitch and he can nail and play things and all that. But it, yeah. it, it does make it easier. And it, I guess it loses a little of the luster. <laughs> <laughs> when you're like, yeah, I know this, well, the smoke behind the mirrors. <laughs> it's funny. We talked about that. I have never wanted to get really knowledgeable about movie special effects 
because I didn't want to look behind the curtain at the Wizard of Oz. I like saying that looks like another planet. I wonder how they did that instead of knowing <laughs> it's just little puppets and you know camera trickery and stuff like right. that. So yeah, let me tell you, Christmas movies are not as much fun when you predict everything that's going to happen within five minutes. <laughs> They're just <laughs> not as much fun. Wait, that's we watched our we watched Love Actually. That's become one of our Christmas traditions. Just because it's I don't know it's eight different interweaving stories and many of them are compelling and, and it's great there's a whole great ensemble cast and stuff like that so it just it's a feel-good movie even though it's got some tragic parts to it because it's about people at the holidays and getting together with your family and stuff like that and i don't know that we actively sought out how many more did we watch we watched spirited i think we mentioned that that was fun that was a fun one uh, i don't know that we have any that we like our slavish devotees to i really want to see for instance miracle on 34th street again because I actually, I couldn't tell you all of what happens in that. I remember certain scenes and I, it, some of the classics like that, like Holiday Inn, when they break into White Christmas, just, I do want to see that again. The, it's a Wonderful Life, uh, that yeah, one. Exactly. That one, it's so interesting. I've seen it tons. We all know the basic story. It's been yeah. used a million times. But the story, you got a, a, a part one, part two, and part three of story. Mm -hmm. And part one gives you the you get used to the people and then you get the conflict and then you get the middle the part structure as they say yeah okay. and then you got the end which it resolves that conflict in some way it's a wonderful life when you really watch it it's like the build-up the first part is like 40 45 minutes or something before he wants to kill himself it's that that's the emotional part it's that build-up and then yeah. really it's 10 minutes of him seeing what the world would be like before he realizes he's wrong and there's just about as long at the end of everything going right totally blows the the standard structure away when people are like it has to be this long and this much percentage of your story and it totally doesn't follow that and so many horror movies are like that they don't follow that strict thing and that's i get on my author forums i talk to authors i get in meetings and stuff they're like i gotta cut this out uh because blah 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 i'm like no you don't it's horror needs more of a build-up it's just right you want to build attention you want exactly that yeah you know honestly that's great analysis that some part of knowing what the rules are is so you can break the rules as appropriate you and, don't and why you would break them. The thirds that you're you, we're going to spend the time in the resolution and also if you want to have okay will it come to its conclusion and then you got to have a surprise ending tacked onto that so you're anyway it i really get what you're trying to say like the we just also watched the afi when they first released american film institute their 100 years 100 movies their top ones of all time and they had snippets counting down from 100 to 1 which is what we did when we watched them and they really were incisive as to here's what like why everyone knows this line because it's it's exactly at the right time in the movie and that you love these characters and you're hanging on every word they're saying and that kind of stuff and the great surprises the great we rewatched re every single one and we realized we'd have to go back and rewatch about a dozen of them because they didn't stick i know that we watched um grapes of wrath and i and i, I could tell you the high points but i just i was in, like when we got together did i like fall asleep in my pop while we oh were that's watching. a that's a bit of a drudgery world. depressing stories and there is that too somebody must have been just like man i can't lower myself into the pit for this long i have to be a little happier than what's going all right on. we're gonna watch about people in the depression in the dust bowl that have no money and no food let's go <laughs> it makes the waltons look like a cheery happy show that's right Let's go to California where you can realize our dreams. Oh, yeah. it's terrible here too. Now what do we do? So, so that was, I, I, I can't recommend enough 
if people really want to do that, it's the era for being able to capture every one of those top 100 movies and watch them kind of counting down so you can see it's not in exact historical order. It's in you know influence order and the various other criteria that they use to judge how good they were. And there's also a version 2.0 where like 23 films changed. But we got so much out of that in terms of a, a, an appreciation for American film and an understanding of these are the first people that did a tracking shot. These are the first people that had that. And the craft of certain actors, the reason that out of the top 100 films of all time, there's a lot of Jimmy Stewart and a lot of Humphrey Bogart and a lot of Cary Grant. It's because they really were superstar actors. They played different characters or sometimes similar ones, but while they're on the screen, you can't take your eyes off them. They just exude human emotion and they're heroes or villains or whatever else it might be. Seeing Anthony Hopkins doing Silence of the Lambs, it's, man, that we talked about this, Brian Cox did a good job. Other people have taken it on, Mods Mickelson, but man, there's some people that were just made for a certain role. You know what I mean? And so that little thing of watching a two-hour run through it's i got I'm re-inspired to go watch some of those again it's and and that there's so many of them are available there might be some now that are they're going to be difficult to find at all or because netflix is gone yeah, 299 that's right netflix is gone did i tell you about this i discovered a place called scarecrow out of i've heard of that Seattle or portland i think it's seattle that they're the ones that have taken on the netflix role they have a vast uh, uh, DVD and uh, maybe even VHS, though I don't think so. I think it's DVDs collection, and you can order things through the mail and get like either four or six at a time. And it it it's a subscription thing like Netflix was, but for all the things that I really would like to watch one to end of, like when I watched the X Files from start to finish, I got them all by just getting series of Netflix discs and stuff like that. So I'm thinking about that. That there are certain series that I really would like to see that i never saw all the way through and scarecrow is going to be my new source so when i do my first order and they get it back i'll be able to say i'll, I'll fill us in on hey this place is really good good, good. everything and they arrived in good shape and all that kind of stuff yeah. you know so. so it's funny you mentioned the afi because i was looking for some stuff to watch the last couple of days and i said yeah, i haven't seen all the james bond yet let me go see what i still got on my list or i don't remember seeing all of them so right. i picked two last night that i watched the first one was from 1954. I think it was the very first adaptation of a James Bond show. And it was, oh, you know it? No, 54. I thought they weren't making movies of him yet. I thought the earliest was Dr. No in 62 or something like oh, that. Oh, no. There's, okay. So the very first one okay. was a TV adaptation for okay. Climax Mystery Theater that wow. was on. And it was Casino Royale. Because that is the first novel, so later made movie. And it was only an hour long. It was, it's from 54. It's an hour long. It's a TV show. It's okay. a very loose adaptation of the story. Okay. But they're in Casino Real. They got Le Chiff. They got, but James Bond is American and they call him Jimmy Bond. And Lighter oh. is English. So what an interesting swap there. Yeah. Honestly, I, I really love James Bond. I've seen every single one of them, but I've never seen this. So I can't it, say I've seen every single one of them. That was the first adaptation. It, wow. it, it was, it was Colin said the roughest part is there's no music. That music adds so much to it. And it was absolutely yeah. <laughs> the best part that I laughed at. It was, I think this was still in the era when they did things like almost live on stage, like it was a play. 
You know, mm-hmm. they, it wasn't quite, but that's, I had that feel a little bit because they did change mm-hmm. scenes and stuff. But the one scene, he's there doing something with the door and you saw the spotlight shift <laughs> to focus on him. They had it wrong <laughs> and, you know, they, no edits and crap. So. Right, that, it interrupts reality a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that, that was funny. Sun must have moved in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> so then the other thing I watched was uh, Casino Royale, but with Peter Sellers. See, that's the adaptation that they very first did of it, not the Daniel Craig years later. The first one was Peter Sellers, David Niven, Woody Allen. Yeah. They actually, they made George Orwell. Out of or it. no, Orson Welles, I'm sorry. Orson Welles, exactly. And it had, like you said, some of the named characters, but it, it made fun of it. It made it was like just kind of like Matt Helm when Dean Martin played a secret agent, but he they made fun of it, James Colbert right. and Flint, that kind yeah. of stuff. It's okay. definitely British, dry humor, and I'm, I i didn't finish it all last night. I got an hour into it, and I'm like, oh, dear God, they're not even at the casino yet. We have an hour <laughs> left. I'm like, come on. So it's definitely a, it's not a very uh, honorable, uh, not honorable, but it, it doesn't try and make you feel like, hey, this is James Bond. It's, hey, this is Peter Sellers, and we're going to have fun. That's right. That's right. It's funny. To tie things together, as we often do. I, I we often have parallel things, and I'm not sure how that works out so often. <laughs> I watched a bunch of James Bonds because they became available. The the Daniel Craig, he was a, a, the, probably the sixth person to play James Bond, but they did they made really good movies with him having a he's handsome, but in a cruel handsome way, not a beautiful handsome way. Roger Moore might have very been rugged, yeah, very rugged. Say. And so I watched Casino Royale and then Quantum of Solace, which was never really a full book. It was only like a, a short story in one of the stories. Yes. And then, uh, let's see, the next Skyfall I watched. And then I wanted to watch Spectre, I think, is the next one after that. And those were all free on the service that I was watching them on. Probably Amazon, maybe Netflix. Number four was going to be for pay. And I'm like, you bastards that you gave me the first three for free to just whet my appetite. And now you're going to make me pony up. Oh, outweigh you. I'll wait till you make Spectre. But, but to see, with all, oh. we're talking about licensing with music and stuff, movies the same way. I love it when uh, it's like, oh, such and such service just got the Lord of the Rings trilogy. No, not the trilogy. They got one in three. One in three. Except <laughs> that it really wasn't. Oh, we just made a mistake. We left four out. They had a boardroom meeting and they said, what's the way in which we can build it? They're going to watch the series and then hold out one of them so that they have to po- pay for it. I, I just that kind of stuff drives me crazy i was watching hannibal re-watching hannibal i think i mentioned this right with and between the december 31st and january 1st it went away now it's for oh. pay instead of for free and am i really gonna i'll pay for <laughs> archer i think archer is the only thing that i've ever bought to make sure that i it didn't go away i really wanted to be able to watch them because that's what i do when i'm paying bills folding clothes whatever else it might be i have archer on all the time i just the fact that's so easily manipulated that it isn't Hey, if I own it, I can always take it off the shelf. Hey, it used to be that if it was available via Netflix, some over the course of time, Netflix streaming, things went away, but it, I just didn't notice how manipulated it was in this way. And now everybody is doing it. Doc Savage, uh, uh, the movie that I wanted to watch before I could watch it, it was on and then went away. Yeah. Doctor Who that we've talked about, that they have like different doctors, different seasons, and then they... and. B- they consolidated it all so it was on like the bbc channel but now they're leasing it out again maybe to prime or something like that and but if i and i don't want to pay attention to this so much i don't want to have a little chart of gotta watch it by end of february it's going to right. be gone and yet 
So oh, I'm well. glad you mentioned Doctor Who because I was going to tell you the classic 26 seasons of Doctor Who, I think all 26 are on there, is on Tubi. So you can go Tubi and watch it. Is uh, it like infested with commercials? Because uh, the crazy thing about Hulu and maybe Tubi is it, I, it, I just need the, to sit down and watch it, not get another ad for Ozempic. There are commercials, which... They had commercials originally. So as long as they put the commercials in the natural break, I'm okay with that. But if they just throw it in randomly in the middle of some sentence, that bothers the crap out of me. Well, we were were waiting for the next season of The Rookie, and we noticed that there were times with The Rookie and maybe um, Castle or whatever that they literally like mid-sentence. Yeah. It's a way to do something else. And and that that's very, you didn't even take the time to watch it and get well, to a natural pause place. Because, yeah. Three-minute mark, it, we fuck it over. Oh. <laughs> I think it's just, uh, and this is a whole conversation, but I think it's just AI that they try and figure out a Computer break somewhere. Generated. But if it goes this long, cut it anyway, or some bad rule like that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. That, just watch something where, because it was coming to the climax, We've noticed this before. When they used to do a Sunday night at the movies, while we were watching the AFI um, history, we, we were noticing, wow, the first time I ever saw Lawrence of Arabia, the first, all kinds of these films, it used to be like a big thing, Sunday night at the movies. That's where they had the first network presentation instead of it only being in the theaters. And we noticed that it's a two-hour movie, and like from 9.30 to 10 o'clock, it was two-thirds commercials. Yeah. They know that you're not turning away from the end of Dr. Zhivago. They know you're not turning away from Sarah, right. and they just would lard commercials in place. Oh, we hated that. Yes. <laughs> end of Rocky. Well, Stop cutting away from the climactic fight. Let that cut. Out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. How do you, how do you, oh, it was. It was I, I, I love the ones that get edited for time. And then you're like, wait, he didn't finish his sentence on that scene. There's another sentence. And they just cut end of scenes out or beginnings of scenes. So it's jarring to watch sometimes. You've seen it before. Every time that we've seen The Grinch and you see the the whole version before Dolly Madison had to put all of its cake ads in there. Wait, there's two more verses of The Grinch song. What's going on here? Yeah. I, I don't know. Now, now it is that many times you can find a good source for the original uncut version, but it's it's going back to that weirdness. Advertising runs the world, and they really can make demands on. Hey, and while you're watching Bosch, make sure that you got a whole bunch of stuff just before they solve the crime. You right. Know what I mean? That's what uh, Amazon's doing now. That uh, they they have commercials they're adding into their stuff unless you pay. Yeah, for the higher, but here's the thing. Uh, they've had freebie uh, for a while. It's like a separate channel, and they've put. Mo- and uh, I told people, I said, "So, did you ever watch freebie? Oh, yeah, I watch freebie movies, and that's on Amazon, owned by Amazon. Oh, I didn't know it was owned by Amazon. So you're watching these movies with commercials in it. And they're like, well, yeah. I'm like, that was a test. They were testing to see if people would watch the movies with commercials if it was free. Oh, they will. So now that's why they did it. And people are like. Oh, really? Welcome to our world. <laughs> I, when I first started to see, like, the b- big difference between network was free, but you had to watch ads, and then you had cable, and you didn't, the first time that I saw, like, Comedy Central, and they would interrupt movies or comedy specials with ads, it's like, I paid to watch this. I don't want you to get another layer of income off of me by well, injecting things into the middle of a comedy special, because, like, just that, when you're in a theater watching Bill Burr, he doesn't stop and do a hair ad. 
you watch the entire set and he has his own pacing that's actually pretty important to the quality of the thing. And seeing that get butchered, I, I stopped watching things on Comedy Central, almost everything. When it was like a half hour comedy special, then I could bear one or two interruptions. I couldn't stand to try to watch Monty Python on the Holy Grail and right. have it be interrupted. I couldn't well, stand it. When, so. when, when you have <laughs> actors like Tom Cruise that demand $35 million to do a movie, you got to pay for it somehow because my $14 a month streaming isn't paying for all of that. I do understand. I just hate it and don't like and don't agree. Yeah. You know, you know, it, this is funny. I, I, I just did a whole talk about, hey, you only got so much time in your life. Try to watch listen to the 100 best songs watch the 100 best movies all that kind of stuff and yet there's any number of times at like 11 o'clock at night i sit down and just wander around and say oh this looks good because guns and explosions and boobs and whatever else it might be that's 11 o'clock at night guy viewing sorry right once in a while they surprise you where the dialogue is so much wittier than it has to be for that kind of movie there's let's see army of the dead i think where they have, they're going to go into Vegas that has been infested by zombies to try to get into a big vault right. that is fortune and stuff like that. And it's just so much better than I expected it to be. I thought it would be goofy, silly. And instead, like the German safecracker guy was such a, a great character that then they made a prequel with right. showing how he came to be that guy. Yeah. And I just, I, I like, it's fun to get into those things where it isn't. And, and it's funny that isn't a great example because there's people in it that are famous i think the rock is in it and yeah. they, you can tell it's a vehicle for no is it the rock no it's who plays the destroyer in the guardians of the galaxy movies dave batista batista exactly i think he's that funny that there's some guys that are interchangeable because they're just so perfectly off. pop their head off put yeah, it on exactly the that <laughs> we, we need a guy that's going to be like filling a doorway when he comes into the room get that guy or get the two or three other guys that could be that guy <laughs> you know what i mean right so i just watched one the other day and this is funny some of the ways in which you get it also is there's a whole bunch of desire for foreign investment in american-ish films and so there's like a sniper series and i watched like sniper grit ground retaliation in the something team whatever else it might be but i really expect it to be okay a ridiculous mission to free a hostage or whatever else it might be. And continually, the characters were amusing and not just stereotypes, the, the interactions, the dialogue between them was so much better than it needed to be. I was like, I'm looking around, like, how did they someone actually made something of quality when they had $2 million to do it? That's not right. like a $30 million blockbuster or whatever. So I love those little discoveries. So everybody, sniper grit, it isn't great. It's not meant to be great. And yet for the kind of movie that it is, it's fun it's enough. Really, it's better than the rest of them. That kind of thing. Amazon uh, Reacher season two is out. And that I've been was, watching that. That was great. I haven't seen the second season yet. Exactly. But have you watched Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon on Netflix yet? No, haven't yet. It's like a three and a half hour guy, right? It's, it's a long movie. Is that so I haven't It's long, time. yeah. Okay. But it, he already said that the second one is supposed to be coming out this year that they okay. planned it as a, a long and people are like it's his star wars and i'm hearing a lot of good but I, I, it makes me nervous i loved his longer version of justice league i thought it was really good and I, so i'm like man someone did a modern star wars i that is i gotta watch it but i then heard and this is a rumor so it could totally be untrue that netflix 
has a director's cut version, but they wanted to release that later to try and keep people. So they'd watch this, then the director's cut, and then the second one, keep people on the service without canceling, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, I don't know if I want to watch the non-director's cut if I know there's going to be a director's cut, but it's all rumor <laughs> right now. So <laughs> I'd be willing to do it, but just out of, I, honestly, I'm surprised I haven't watched it yet, but Colleen and I did all kinds of wonderful stuff for the holidays with family, with our, ourselves, I had, I had jury duty, whatever else it might be. So I really haven't had that three hours to sit down and watch it. And if, if we do it at the end of the day after dinner, that isn't necessarily a Colleen type movie. So I don't want to say, I'm going to watch this on the big TV because it requires it. Do you have a book you can go read? I never want to do that to her. You know what I mean? I don't want to. So we watch things that we'll both enjoy. Like we're waiting for the rookie next season because we really have enjoyed that show. And Nathan yeah. Fillion is very watchable. Another thing that's happened at people that got out of the Hollywood system, like C. Thomas Howell made a bunch of great movies where it wasn't going to be released to theaters. It was like direct to video, but do it for 5 million, make 30 million repeat. So he's actually an, an accomplished guy, you know what I mean? Right. And I really liked his murder mysteries and like madcap comedies or whatever else kind of stuff. Dolph Lundgren did that as well, that he made a whole bunch of, he's an imposing guy. So have him be and smart. the super SWAT smart. team leader. And that's right. I, I should say that first, but he's not only an imposing guy, he's the guy that has like a PhD in chemistry and stuff like that. So like three masters or something like that. Yes, exactly. You know, and, and so like the kinds of things that he got involved in, I don't know if they've always been great, kind of like Rutger Hauer. Rutger Hauer had some really good choices and then made some really stinky movies like with a chainsaw <laughs> that I had to watch this to see what what in the world what is going on here Why that's actually he... on Reese's list <laughs> so, there are some certain things that are like the auto accident that you can't not watch happening I just have to see why in the world did he do this? Did he have, I had to buy a house for my mom and I was, Michael Caine talks about that. What did you think of your performance in Blame It on Rio? What I think about it is it bought my mom a house. I got paid. You know, exactly. The job. I got paid. That's right. Uh, I was going to mention something else. Remind me, I'll remember it for next week, I'm sure. Okay. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's in brief, we'll talk about this maybe next time. One of the joys of January is you really get to look at your year. And I, I'm not sure if you have cool, literary events already are you going to be going to any of your cool literary workshops I've, I've got i've got some coming up uh but casey and i are focusing on trying to do some shows the supernatural paranormal cryptid type shows to take our soaps because it's an untapped market for that type of thing okay. plus i'm writing some books that fit that so some of these are expensive like 200 250 bucks for a table so we're splitting it yeah, yeah, so I'm taking my books for half and the soaps for half help cover the thing and we're combining it. And okay. so I'm going to be doing some weekends traveling with that type of stuff. Uh, Got it. It'll be a good experiment where it works and where it doesn't. Is it certain themes right. or is it places or whatever else it might and, be? I've got a, right. And I've got, I think I mentioned I was working on Flutter a little bit, hybrid okay. uh, for mobile development, but I have yeah. a project idea that's been percolating for a couple of years and I've been talking to some people about it and getting some uh, guidance in that essentially what I'm pushing on this for is I'm meeting with an advisor from the small business association to find out how to form a uh, nonprofit company and then apply for a grant that would allow me to work on this project because I'm probably going to need at least one more programmer and an artist and okay. and be able to offer this product I want to create 
to museums and historical societies of small towns all across That's the country. What so. a wonderful legacy. You know what I mean? It, it's some part of, I, my hand has not been encoding for the last couple of years, and yet I got to be pretty good at it, and I want to get current with, with skills in that regard. And that's what I keep thinking is, I don't want to do it where I'm doing it corporate. I want to do it where like, hey, the little ladies that sell wreaths at Christmas for the Lakewood Historical Society, how about if I write you a wonderful database and the online thing where people don't have to send in a postcard, they can actually do this online and you can keep track of all that. So I'm getting to that. I'm, I want to contribute more than I want to make money. I'm set. I'm okay and safe for the rest of my right. life. How do I make the world a, a little bit better place with my particular skills? You know what I mean? And, and I'm not an assassin. I'm a coder. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we'll see what works out. Bug I, assassin. The grant is a great way to go. I don't, I don't know about, I've been thinking of, are there things that I want to do that would be Kickstarterable or indie right. fun, you know, Indiegogo that, I don't know, people might want to say, hey, you've been doing pretentious drinking for 25 plus years. You should write a book. And I really might say, hey, if you give me like, $10,000, I'll put other things away and dedicate myself to this. So I just need how many people look, to pledge five bucks and they'll get a copy of it. You know, Look, I mean? look at uh, Stephen King's on writing because I like the way that's done. It's a combination like autobiographical memoir and teaching training thing. You could have tales and how your life led to this pretentious yeah. drinking and the whole history of it and then your favorite ones or what to look for when whatever that's very much what i'm thinking it's not only going to be the catalog of oh we right. drank but i want it to be that like out of all those that we've tried 400 plus here's the ones that have really stood out or here's the ones that in certain years it was like just the perfect timing to discover this and all the little tales behind it what's the first year that we had so many people at the tables that people like came to the other side to help me serve because Gary and I were overwhelmed. That kind right. of thing. So right. there's stories I'm... behind it as well as just the information of it. Right. You know? And I'm okay. still trying to convince Reese to write a book about the horror because his talk that he does is fantastic. And yeah. it, it, I love Reese. I've known him my whole freaking life. Yeah. honestly, the talk was better than I thought it would be. And I'm not trying to say that derogatory. I was like, you just went way over and above what I even thought you were going to talk about. And yeah. we're on, we just are getting started with season five of that podcast and yeah. watched 40 some movies at this point. And we're going to have a couple more. He's watched way more than that. So yeah. it's just, I, I like, dude, I think people would eat something like that up. Yeah. In fact, that's another thing. Having said, projects that I want to be doing. I'm also like, with a little bit of extra money, there's all kinds of stuff out on Kickstarter and Indiegogo that I'm like, I want that to exist in the world. Uh, you've, you've done it for games. I, I want to do it for comic books, whatever else it might be. There's all kinds of things that I'm just going to start browsing around and saying, that's worth 20 bucks. That's worth just hoping that thing works out. I know that there's people that don't get it done. I know that there's things that are lesser quality than you expect them to be. I want that thing of an artist being able to make their way in the world without having to sign the terrible contract that we talked about earlier, that in order to get this published, you sign away all your rights. You know what I mean? There really should be the, the fact that we have this ability to have a more direct relationship between a creator and a consumer. I want to be part of that. I want to be a Medici that's going to help sponsor those things to come into existence and be like, I'm proud of you. Every time that I order the next Ted Sakura masterpiece, I'm very pleased that I discovered him early and I've been a little bit, a tiny little iota of helping with his success. Right. I'm an early adopter and supporter and any number of other things that I've contributed to over the course of time. So yep. very cool. Now, I was just talking to Tom Zoller about doing my next book cover. Uh, in fact, if you look, 
that's a different picture. I put book two up because it's going to be coming out soon. I knew there was something different. Yeah. <laughs> and he's going to, he's, we're in talks about book three and the cover for that. Yeah. Good for you and good for him. That's wonderful to hear. Yeah. yeah. Great. All right, ma'am. All right. Okay. I think we're at time. Yep. As and- I'm not sure what we're at, but like when we get 200 episodes, we got to have some kind of celebration. We're, we're so. close. Yeah. We got, we're, we'll talk Tuesday, but then we're actually getting together because you sent me a gift through the mail, which I, I said, does, is Alan checking on my life insurance? Because I'm trying to read it. Oh my God. <laughs> Kill me. Uh, For those who don't know, I got him a copy of Planetary Omnibus, and it's one of those huge album type things. But if you try to read in bed and rest on your chest, it's like denting your sternum. Picture, picture the. Movie. 22 volume set of Encyclopedia Britannica in one book. Yeah, that's what it is. It's like those old versions of the Bible that they keep on tables. So when I got you, I want to be there when you open it. So we're going to get together next week for lunch. And I can't wait for you. It's a little late, but hey, it happens. It's just wonderful. Okay, so we'll see you Tuesday and then see you Friday. And just that will geekery onwards. We will. Take care. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. This has been the Relentless Geekery Podcast. If you enjoy our conversation, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and go give us a review. Give us some likes. It would help a lot. Check out our website, RelentlessGeekery.com, where we have links to our Facebook page. Join the conversation and go check out our YouTube page where we have the video of this and other episodes. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week.